Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Hello and welcome to our Thirsty Podcast here on the Raised with Jesus podcast series. My name is Jeremy Lightning, and I'm here with Pastor Zarling. No, not that Pastor Zarling. <laughs> That's a good one. I like that. Because I am not related to any of the other Zarlings in our synod. Or at least, yeah. Yeah, especially all the pastors. And and if you're wondering, I was thinking of Pastor Josh Zarling, my former prep singer uh, comrade in, uh, where's he at? West, uh, West Dallas, I think. See, I was thinking you were thinking of Professor Mark Zarling, who used to be the seminary professor and then the president of Martin Luther College. And so what I do, because people ask me all the time if I'm related to Mark, because he was a pretty bigwig in the church body, and I said, no, but if I want anything accomplished in our synod, I sign things Pastor M. Zarling, <laughs> hoping that they think it's Mark, and then they just sign off on it. That's your foot in the door. Yes. Uh, and I'm sorry, we have not, not even introduced our guest yet. Uh, here is uh, Pastor Dave Pagel at um, New Life in Kenosha. Um, and uh, you are you are here today, and um, welcome. Uh, thanks. Good to be here. I appreciate the invitation. So, so Dave, you and I were classmates. Uh, that was a lifetime ago. <laughs> Back when you were skinny. Oh, come on now. <laughs> hey, uh, one of the things that was interesting, you know, talking about classmates is, was it back in November that you and uh, Pastor Newman and Pastor Bitter, because Pastor Bitter had preached for my 25th anniversary in the ministry, and he'd flown from Portland, Washington out here, and then... Portland, Oregon. Portland, Oregon. And the four of us went out to eat at Hoo-Hot, and then you know what happened a week later? Everybody had calls. Everybody who was at that table <laughs> was holding calls a week later. Yeah. Pretty desperate. They're calling four 51-year-olds into them somewhere else. At least they didn't come in the fortune cookie. <laughs> you know, then, then we would know that something was up, you know. So, so Dave, where have you served in the past? I've only served two places in my 25 years of ministry. So I was assigned out of the seminary to an uh, exploratory in, in Beaverton, Oregon, west side of Portland. And I uh, got to start a church from scratch. That was you know, an amazing thing. Um, I just tell the highs are high and the lows are low. Uh, and um, Why is that? Oh, the relationships are just so close. You don't have you know, multi-generational families, um, you're the person that knocks on the door. You're the person that baptizes sometimes the entire family. Um, and we were so far away from our parents in the Midwest. Um, we spent holidays there, you know, uh, just the relationships were super close. Um, so yeah, so when someone gets upset and decides to leave, you know, you bet you bet you take it personally you know um and uh and just one person upset can make a pretty big tempest in your little teapot um yeah i, I was talking to i was visiting with our shoreland students from water of life on tuesday and then last week and visited two of the students on tuesday that uh they were confirmed last may and i don't think i've seen them in church since so I was kind of talking to them both at the same time about it, and uh, they said, "Yeah, we need to we need to get back to church." And one of them asked, 
well, you know, are we going to have a Wednesday night worship service again? Because we cancel it with COVID. And I said, yeah, tomorrow night. And he goes, really? <gasps> and I said, well, yeah, it's Ash Wednesday. But, and I told him, I said, you know, I, I like you guys fine, but I really love your parents. And I wasn't trying to be offensive to them, but I took both of their parents, both sets, through adult confirmation class. And like you're saying, Dave, you have a very close relationship. They're kind of like your spiritual children, as opposed to someone that you know, was at the congregation as a longtime member before you arrived. Yeah, agreed. Um, the other thing that I tell younger pastors who, you know, uh, ask about the experience in a mission, I, I say, I just realize how true it is that God sends you the right people at the right time. Um, it's almost like, you know, one of those cooking shows where you open the basket and you see what, what your mystery ingredients are and, and, uh, oh, I guess this is what we're supposed to make. Um, but, but, uh, talking about my experience, God sent us to, uh, just a wonderful older couple when everything was kind of, um, volatile i guess with with some of the younger people and their emotions and and tending to go off um uh two of the nicest people an unflappable uh gentleman from texas and his wife uh who was who was a hugger and who uh calmed everybody down at the mom's group and you know uh you couldn't have ordered it up any better and god just sent us the right people at the right time, and and those things are a lot easier to see in in hindsight, but uh, just gave me a great appreciation for how the Lord of the Church uh, moves and and gives you what you need at the right time. So, um, I I just wanted to throw in that uh, I have a history with this guy too. You know, um, he uh, he was the pastor of the congregation. He still is the pastor of the congregation where my wife was assigned to teach first and second grade and uh when we had our first son who's now a freshman in high school he visited us in the uh, uh hospital and uh, then baptized him too um and uh he i have to i have to confess he, he put up with a kind of a snobbish uh overzealous seminary student uh for a, for a year or two there um so i'm i'm thankful for everything that you do and that you continue to do, um, especially given the, uh, well, you, Michael, you said before we started that you wanted to talk about some of the recent events uh, in this area. So um, I don't know if either of you want to kick that Just off. Just before we get there, oh, sure. um, what, where you were referring to is uh, my my current assignment, um, or since I took that call from um, Beaverton. I came back to the place that I vicared at uh, at Bethany Lutheran here in Kenosha, and um, then this past, so I've been there for almost twenty years, uh, nineteen years, and um, then we merged into merged the Four Wells churches into one, uh, effective in July, um, and and renamed that entity New Life, uh, more merging four churches and two schools. Multiple campuses, six pastors. Uh, it's quite an undertaking, um, but again, God puts the right people around the table to get things done. Some former efforts at, at uh, working together uh, hadn't come to fruition for one reason or another. But um, again, uh, yeah, God sent us who we needed to to get this um, 
to happen this time. And one of the things that I talked about with our people with the merger that you guys were doing in Kenosha, south of us in Racine, because we merged at the same time, is that the a big thing is that your pastors all liked each other and got along. And because I, members don't always realize pastors don't always see eye to eye, and they don't always work well together. And But you guys all do and did. And so and, that was a big part yeah. of that, why that is working. Trust is a huge thing, yes, for sure. And then what you were referring to, Jeremy, on Friday evening, a uh, longtime teacher at Sunday. Saturday. 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 Okay, yeah. longtime teacher at Shoreland Lutheran High School, where all of us have sent our children, uh, Jeff Dorn, that he had a heart attack uh, while he was out at his parents' place in Minnesota, uh, and God called him home to heaven. And as we talk about the gospel lesson this Sunday for the first Sunday in Lent, and it's always, as the first Sunday in Lent is Jesus defeating the devil's temptations in the desert. Uh, And I just want to talk about that victory of Jesus in the desert and the victory that Jeff has. And I wanted to bring it up specifically for you guys, because Dave, you were his pastor for almost 20 years. And Jeremy, you were his... uh, you know, a faculty member for a year and a half, and you were ministering to, to the students now. Yeah, I and I, I admitted this freely when I spoke to the faculty in uh, the devotion, the first I, that was Sunday night, and then we kind of had a repeat Monday morning for those who couldn't be there Sunday night. <clears throat> but uh, I freely admitted all of you have known Jeff Dorn much longer and much better than I have. Uh, so uh, I won't pretend any of that, but I I pointed, pointed out some similarities between him and Moses. It was transfiguration, and uh, it, it, it hit me. I, I didn't even come up with this at the podcast, but what does it say uh, the two men that appeared with Jesus, with, with Jesus on transfiguration were? Who were who those two men? Moses and Elijah. So... Elijah, we know, didn't ascend, didn't die before ascending into heaven. Moses uh, did die, and uh, it it doesn't say Moses's ghost or Moses's spirit was there with Jesus. It says Moses was there with Jesus, and uh, even if I'm way off track on this, uh, the fact is, finally, on the last day, uh, Moses's body will be resurrected if it hasn't been already. And uh, I just tried to kind of use that as a, a jumping off point. Oh, and my, where I'm going with all this is uh, that, that verse where it says, Moses was a humble man, the humblest man ever to live. And I said, that, that kind of sounds a little bit like Jeff Dorn. And, and, then, and then Moses did uh, mission work in Africa, too. So there's another similarity. <laughs> just like Jeff did. And I always thought it was funny that, you know, the author who said Moses was the most humble man was Moses. Yeah. yeah. But he, uh, but I, I was wondering with you guys, Dave, how is it, uh, you know, a surprise death? Like, this is a fairly young man. He's probably 61 or so. Not even 60. Not even 60. Um, you know, how is it ministering to his family, uh, to the other members? Because I know you have other faculty members that are members at New Life. How is it ministering to them in a time of sorrow but a time of victory? Yeah, I mean, those are the things that uh, they're going to remember how 
how you deal with them for the rest of their lives. Um, you get the privilege of being there at the best and worst times in their lives, and that's just that's just what pastoral ministry is about. Um, so, you know, it was just it's so wonderful when you hear words from a widow like, you know, I know Jeff is so happy right now to be in heaven. You know, and that's that first conversation in the midst of all the grief. That's that's the overflowing joy. Um, and, and uh, you know, it, so many times you go, oh, wait a minute, who's ministering to who? <laughs> you know, and you start to start to well up and... Um, you know, it, it's just a it's a privilege even to think about those experiences that you've had with someone over that uh, amount of time. Even though we never we never coached on the same team, we both coached. Uh, he he was principal when I was a vicar, but we never were uh, co-workers. You know, as in working at the same place at, at the at same Bethany? time. Correct. Oh, yeah. Yeah, um, so he he wanted a tall guy. We had a particularly tall eighth grader uh, that year, and he roped me in to you know uh, work under the basket with the big kid because uh, Jeff Jeff was a lot of things, but he's not tall. <laughs> um, and so yeah, uh, we got to work together that that year. Um, but yeah, um, without going into detail on on Jeff, it's just a it's just a privilege to to be there to work with the family and to hear the stories of how, he, yep, he was the same person in, in private as he was in public. And uh, that, that that faith that he talked about wasn't just lip service to, you know, the party line, but it was something that he lived uh, as a dad and as a congregation member and in all the different roles. And we can just, I just wanted to throw in that we kind of had talking about the high school scene we kind of have had a double whammy because uh for a while now we've been saying prayers for uh and you know closing of the day prayers or opening prayers for uh the mother of uh mrs papillardo and um we got word on that on sunday night uh, right after the news about jeff dorn hit that mrs papillardo's mother sue uh died and she's actually uh, her visitation and funeral are today and Jeff says tomorrow we're recording on Thursday um, but uh, that's that's been kind of another hit to the Shoreland campus as well before I ask you about ministering to the seniors especially Jeremy is uh, what you were saying Dave about who's ministering to whom I remember uh, about two or three years ago when Pastor Paul Brug who was also a teacher at Shoreland when he died from brain, a brain tumor, and then I went over and had a devotion with his parents, uh, John and Irene Brug, and you know all of us had Professor Brug as a professor at the seminary, and, and I'm thinking, what am I going to say to him that he doesn't know? And as we're talking, just chit-chat beforehand, uh, he says, uh, yeah, I've probably written like, 30 papers on Psalm 23. He's written the People's Bible Commentary on Psalm 23. But when he said, yeah, I've written probably like 30 different conference papers on it, I went, shoot, that's my devotion. <laughs> what am I going to say on Psalm 23 that he doesn't know? Just say it in English. Make sure you say it in English. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> but, but 
you know, I talked to Irene about it later on, too, uh, after one of my Bible studies, and she said, but, and I knew this, you're there as our pastor, and whatever I say is going to be something that's new to them, even though they know it, but to hear it and have that comfort the same way you're ministering to uh, Jeff's family. They know this, but you need to hear it again and again, and especially it sinks in deeper at a time like this. So, and I, I was there on Monday when you had that great service, uh, you and Pastor Bauer, uh, Jeremy, for, uh, for Sue Papalardo and with Jeff Dorn. And I was listening to the commentary by the, you know, the freshmen and the sophomores. They didn't really know Mr. Dorn, but the seniors did. And you had the seniors. So how was it ministering to them that day and then now this, this week? Uh, it's been a real honor and uh, I'm thankful that God has let me uh, be in that position because they were my first religion, first high school religion class last year. And so I got to know them all pretty well. And then when I uh, went into, we had agreed since Tom didn't, Tom, Pastor Bauer didn't know them as well, uh, that he would take the juniors and I would take the seniors uh, in, in their breakout groups. Uh, I stood up in front of them. I said, it, it's really nice to be standing up in front of you again, and um, I'm sorry about the, you know, the circumstances, but uh, as I was saying that, just all the faces of these kids, um, you know, troublemakers, uh, tough football, baseball players, that doesn't matter who, they just all started melting, and they were all starting to tear up, and, and I was like, oh, God, you know, I was like, man, I, I got to just start saying what I got to say before... They, and with that, just to explain to our listeners that uh, Mr. Dorn, uh, you know, the freshmen, sophomores, juniors, they didn't really know him so well because they didn't have him for classes. Whereas, well, I found those, what those, I found out was that not only does this senior class had have did they have him as an instructor, he was also their instructor of religion as a freshman, right. and so. Uh, and, and a baseball coach. So. Oh yeah, yeah. And they so, had a special meeting after that for the baseball team. Yeah. And uh, I, had, I had a list of bullet points I wanted to get through. I said, first of all, uh, start thinking of your Mr. Doran stories because I, share, I want you to share them. And then uh, I got through this list. I had a, an analogy about grief. Um, what else did I talk about? Um, uh, well, I guess the, the biggest point would be, well, one of them was that there was a, a a desire on the part of the seniors to start a GoFundMe page for the Dorn family, and uh, we wanted to say that's that's very nice of you, uh, and we want to encourage that. We just want to make sure that's what the family wishes as well before we attach the school's name to it. Um, I guess now I'm attaching the school's name to it over the podcast. But uh, at, at any rate, um, uh, oh yes, I I said um, so. Maybe you're wondering why. And that's a great question. Uh, actually, there are many answers to it. Why did God do this at this time? Uh, there's a lot of reasons he did. But the one I'm going to tell you is, th- this will not be the last tragic and sudden death that you have to go through in your lifetime. And so God is giving you some rehearsal. He's letting you practice uh, with Mr. Dorn. How does this feel? And how can I get through it? And then when it comes closer to home or your friends or family members, it'll, 
you'll be better at it. You'll, you'll be more mature and you can remember how this felt. Um, then the other thing that I said was, uh, if you have any regrets about your interactions or your thoughts about Mr. Dorn, anything that may be uh, bothering your conscience uh, about how your relationship with him, uh, it is critical that you listen to the next words out of my mouth. I forgive you all your sins in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, if Mr. Dorn was here right now, let's pretend if Mr. Dorn could read your mind, he would say, no hard feelings. He would say, I forgive you and God forgives you, uh, but don't let the devil use this sudden passing as a tool to try and burden you with guilt uh, because uh, that's... I, and, and then even after I said that, there were, there were one, once or twice somebody came up and said, I know you said not to uh, feel bad about any, any regrets, but the last thing that I said to him was, you know, uh, I don't know, it was some, some kind of thought like that. And, uh, it, but, but no, that's, it, it was what it was, and, and God has forgiven all our sins in Christ, so live under that. Well, thanks, guys, for sharing that. And as we get into the gospel lesson, and the reason I, I thought of asking you guys about ministering in this difficult situation is to tie into the gospel lesson where, you know, Jeff has that victory, and, you know, you're reminding, you know, Jeff's family, and you're reminding your students, we have that victory through Christ, uh, Christ in the desert. And then, uh, two, I think it's a good point, to remember as the devil tried working on Jesus and since that didn't work well now he's going to turn his attention to us and he's going to work on the students you know swirling things in their mind that's the image that comes through my mind every time I read this lesson of uh, C.S. Lewis in the screw tape letters of taking uh, the, the demon taking his finger and just kind of putting it into someone's ear and just swirling thoughts around because he can't read minds but he's the devil's pretty smart. He's been around for a long time. He knows what works. And he's going to be sitting on our shoulder, whether it's a long, f spiny finger in our ears, swirling things around, or just whispering in our ears. He's going to be tempting us. Uh, Jeremy, if you want to read the gospel lesson for this Sunday. Luke chapter 4. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for forty days. He did not eat anything during those days. When they came to an end, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. The devil led him up to a high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil told him, I will give you all this power and the glory of these kingdoms because it has been entrusted to me and I can give it to anyone I want. So if you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand in, on the pinnacle of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here, because it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to protect you, and they will lift you up with their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it says, you shall not test the Lord your God. When the devil had finished every temptation, 
He left him until an opportune time. So, Dave, why did the Holy Spirit lead Jesus into the desert? Or I think it can also be translated that Jesus drove, or the Holy Spirit drove Jesus into the desert. Yeah, here's the big, here's the big um, scene as as Jesus, our substitute, right? Uh, the baptism of our Lord has just happened, and uh, Jesus baptized for the sinners, and now Jesus stands in for the sinners. Um, right he he um he makes up for the the greatest blunder uh, of humanity when when adam and eve caved you know so here's jesus taking satan's best shot and and being worn down still and and parrying every temptation and blocking everyone uh as humanity's substitute um so you know, here's our here's our Savior, uh, doing it perfectly where we've fallen again and again. Uh, what a what a great account for our comfort. Yeah, and with that, I like to say too. Uh, you mentioned the baptism. It, I'll say you know, Jesus still dripping wet from his baptism is now the next thing we read is the Holy Spirit drives him out into the desert to do battle, like you said, in our place. And then, as you said too. Uh, here's Adam and Eve in this lush garden where they have everything and they fall to the devil's temptations. And then here's Jesus who's out in the desert. He has nothing and then he doesn't fall. So, Jeremy, uh, what was Satan's purpose in tempting Jesus the way he did? I think I would refer back to uh, what other people have said before me that um, Satan is um, he is he is very crafty and and intelligent um, and yet at the same time he can also be completely foolish and stupid so uh, I, I think with as intelligent as he is and and that's how uh, is it Paul or the Proverbs that talk about he, he catches the wise in their craftiness like people and that and humans do it too it, uh it's not just the devil we we just think we're so smart uh and and sometimes it's the most simple-minded or, or you know clear-headed people the the non-overthinkers who uh are the most effective and the ones who spend too much time thinking about it end up messing it all up and that's maybe what you have here with satan uh, he he, he's he's so wise and he's so full of his own wisdom that he th- may actually have convinced himself to think that I could get Jesus to fall and ruin God's plan of salvation. And and I, I like to say too that the devil's a one trick pony. You know he only has one trick, and what's that one trick? It's to get uh, God's children to not believe God and His Word. That was his trick in the Garden of Eden. That's his trick here with Jesus, too. That's his trick with us. So, Dave, what's he getting at with that first temptation? Why can't Jesus just turn some stones into bread? Well, God let him out there, and God was going to provide for him, and he was going to wait on God's providence, and he's not take, not going to take matters into his own hands. Uh, could he? Sure. Uh, would it have been wrong for him to do? Yes. Um, and so, yeah, he, he recognized the thinly veiled thing of you can't trust God to care for your needs. Um, baloney. 
Yeah. And uh, so he's going to wait on God's timing, and God sustained him throughout that 40 days. And I want to talk about the second temptation. I'll ask you then, Jeremy, to look at the third one. Because I always think of the second one in that uh, I remember as a kid, I never understood that temptation of of the devil saying to Jesus, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Just bow down and worship me. Because I was thinking, how is that even possible to be a temptation to the Son of God? Because he, he's God. He has everything. And yet... It wasn't until I became a pastor, you know, studying these things for 25 years of going, oh, I get it. Jesus, in fact, calls the devil the prince of this world. He kind of owns everything right now. And the devil is saying, hey, Jesus, I'll give everything back to you. You don't have to go to the cross and suffer and die to win everything back. I'll give it back to you. You just come to me. Yeah, that that aha moment. You know, it's not the pe- it's not the um, stuff. It's the souls. It's the people. And he's offering him the easy way. You're right. It's embarrassing how many things, uh, you know, come as a lightning bolt way too late <laughs> to us and just say, I really should have known this before now. But I'm admitting to you that I I know this now, and I want to share that. Yeah. But whenever you're on a podcast, you can you don't have to say lightning bolt. You can say lightning bolt. <laughs> lightning bolt. Lightning bolt. That always always works. So, Jeremy, how about that last that last temptation? Well, it's it's interesting, and I don't really have an answer to this, but uh, I I think it's interesting to talk about the flip flop that uh, Luke does, or maybe it was Matthew that did it uh, of the the order because. He, I always think of the last one. It's, I think I kind of have a default toward Matthew that uh, the last one is the the mountaintop with the bowing down and so forth. But um, this one, Luke puts the, the temple last. And I, I'm, I guess all I'm saying is, isn't that interesting? Okay. <laughs> that, they, that, that, it's, that it's flip-flopped in Luke as opposed to Matthew, and I can't really remember what Mark does. But uh, I don't know. What do you want me to say about it? Just, I'm asking you guys to, if there's anything else you want to add to. I, I think it's the extreme from from the first one of uh, the devil trying to say, uh, "Oh, you trust God." It's 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 about maintaining a narrow Lutheran middle, and uh, you can always go to extremes. Any anything in life, you can you can go to extremes, and uh, so the devil played off of that to say. Um, Okay, Jesus, you are so trusting in God to give you food or uh, to give you daily bread. Why don't you really prove how trusting you are in him? Why don't you put on a show of jumping off the top of the temple when uh, God has also given you these people who built a nice staircase? Uh, that's, that's what the devil didn't want him to think about. Um, and so I guess there the warning would be toward uh, recklessness. And uh, thinking, I don't want to say it's possible to trust too much. Uh, that's that's a bad thing to say. But uh, I don't know if you've got a better way to put it. Um, trusting, uh, it's trusting where God hasn't made a promise. Right. And I I think of this too because I heard this the last couple of years. Say with masks or social distancing or whatever it is, people would say, well. Don't test God. And they would quote this. Oh, you shouldn't test God. And then, you know, I would respond by saying, 
except that God kind of tells you to test him. He says in, to Malik, in Malachi, test me in this, right. says the Lord God. And so the idea is just because it may be testing for one person, you know, maybe I'm testing God because I'm being foolish. If Dave does the exact same thing, but he's trained in doing it or his motivation is different, he's, not, he's testing God in a good way. And so it's always that Lutheran middle. And when we judge people's motivations, well, you're not, you're just testing God. Well, maybe that's a good thing is like with our budget uh, for this next year, we're we're adding $90,000 to our budget. That's a lot of money. Uh, uh, And, you know, people are wondering, are we testing God in a wrong way? Can we do this? And then others are stepping, stepping up and saying, no, we need to be tested because uh, we need to step out of our comfort zone and give and support the ministry of water of life more than we have. And they're, those people are saying, uh, they're listening to God's words through Malachi, test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and give you more than you, you can handle. Uh, what about this? And as I read, the, uh, read that last verse, when the devil had finished every temptation. He left him until an opportune time. And then you read the rest of the Gospels and it seems as if uh, the hells, the, the pits of hell were opened during Jesus' ministry. And all these demons, they're just coming up all over the place that you don't hear about in the Old Testament or in church history afterwards. So what's going on here? Yeah, it, it reminds me of the best dad joke that I heard this week. Um, so you guys both got to be funny at some point in the podcast. So here, here goes my, my dad joke attempt. Um, what has two butts and kills people? I don't know, Dave. An assassin. So, so I mean, Satan loves the shadows, right? And and so Jesus says, "You can apply that." Then listen. Okay. All right, so Satan loves the shadows. So if the frontal attack, the obvious three temptations in the wilderness hasn't worked, he's going he's gonna to wait. He's going to lurk behind the fence. He's going to wait until an opportune time, and he's going to use other people like, hey, uh, Jesus, then let's not go to Jerusalem. You know, he's going to use those suggestions. May this never be. Get behind me, Satan. Right to to drive that same agenda in in a friendlier way where he can try to pick him off from the shadows. Yeah, it's that my uh, brother Dan made a similar point about about the devil. With uh, he's done a lot of work with uh, missions in third world, new churches starting up in like third world countries or foreign countries, and uh, that those are much more prevalent places of like the occult and. Uh, a lot of uh, reliance on witchcraft, and uh, we we think to ourselves, what? Why would anybody do that? Well, the devil does have real power, and there there are supernatural things that he can work and do, even in our physical world. Uh, but the fastest avenue for first world Americans is materialism, and so uh, he's he's not he's not going to go outside of the confines of science and and observable. Uh, physics, um, but for those those third world countries where there's a lot more reliance on the spirit world and on on uh, 
uh, your your culture around you, uh, he'll he'll jump right in with uh, all kinds of supernatural uh, spirit spirit being activity, uh, whatever can get people to disbelieve God the fastest. And then with that too, you know, you're a, you're an evangelist like I am, Dave, in that. For two decades of me teaching my adult confirmation class, around lesson five or six as these adults are getting to know you in class, that's about the time I I tell them, all right, now is the time you need to be watching for the devil. He's going to do something to affect your life so that you don't want to finish this class. And, uh, And I warn them about this, and... Every single person has said somewhere toward the end of the class, oh, that happened, Pastor. Whether it's family members saying, well, now you're all uppity because you're a Christian, or this happened or that happened, every single one. Because I warned them and say, you know, beforehand, the devil wasn't worried about you because you belonged to him. You were an unbeliever. Or you were a nominal Christian. You're a Christian in name only. But now... You're active. You're coming to church. You've got your children in our school. You're learning God's word, and you want to share that word because those are the those are the people that are the most active in sharing their faith because they found it or God found them, and now they want others to be found. And now the devil's really ticked at you. He's going to come at you hard. And every single one for t- over 20 years of ministry, they felt it. That's funny because... I've had the same conversation. We've never talked about this before, no. but I had the same conversation with them during that initial thing. There's going to be a reason that comes up that, that you don't want to come to class. There's going to be, you know, monkey wrenches everywhere. But keep coming, and and you'll see that it's worthwhile. You know, I, I think of it more in the early stages, the, the seat along the path kind of thing. I don't have time for this, really. It was fine for a couple of couple of times but this isn't something that i want to really invest in so is it like if you all go to hoo hot together you end up (laughs) with calls and then you become yeah well since we shared our stories do you have anything like that that you've had in your ministry uh i'm sure i do um it's not coming to me though uh, no, I, I'm just wishing I would have had that. I w- I'm wishing I would have gone to Hoo-Hot and uh, had that same line that I told to people that would go through instruction with me. Um, it, I would say even uh, temptations on my own part to possibly, um, you know, find find excuses why, uh, you know, oh, this the, the, let myself be discouraged when I didn't have to be and not be as aggressive. Um, yeah. What about this is, you know, Jesus responds to every one of these temptations. And I think, you know, the evangelist only lists three, but this is 40 days. He's being tempted more than just these three, right, guys? These are just kind of the big three that the Holy Spirit inspires them to write down. Well, why do we teach our children and our confirmants to memorize Bible verses, uh, sections of the small catechism and hymn stanzas? Because you and I, we've all had to make our kids memorize these things, say their memory work. But why? Because you know the kids are going to be going, especially you know, when I taught for a little bit at, at Shoreland, and you did too, Dave, when Pastor Hintz passed away. And those seniors, or the kids we were teaching going, oh, 
pastor, why do we have to do memory work? I was thinking that as a, a senior at the seminary. <laughs> <laughs> why? Why do we teach these our kids and our adults these things? The, the first funeral that I did in Kenosha, uh, the guy had no other family. And so when they took him off life support, I was the guy in the room, the only person in the room mm. other than the medical staff. And he was on infection protocol, so I had, you know, the, the gown and the gloves and, you know, it's a, mi- a million degrees. And they said, you can't have your Bible in here. Oh. So all I had was what was committed to memory. And as God would have it, he lasted for 35 minutes after they took the, disconnected the stuff. And I didn't run out of things to say. I didn't know that's I knew true. that many that's, things. That's a good point. Um, and, and we got done and he passed. And one of the nurses said, she leaned across and said, that was beautiful. I hope, I hope somebody is there, you know, in my last hours to feed me with that kind of comfort. And uh, I had no questions after that. Yeah. It, for me, it was uh, something similar when it was the first year that I was a pastor in Benton Harbor. And there are two congregations in town that would host a Christmas dinner together. Uh, it's a little bit less touching and heartwarming as that one. Uh, it, it was that we, we came to the Christmas dinner and nobody had told me this ahead of time, but they said, well, one of the pastors usually reads the Christmas story at the Christmas dinner. And, uh, and since you're the new pastor, we, we wanted to, we wanted you to do it. And I thought to myself, I think I could still rattle off Luke two from, yeah. <laughs> from my grade school days. And sure enough, I did. I just, I just stood up and said, you know, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree and so on. And, and it, and it was fine. Uh, and I thought, Jeremy, you did a really good job. And I thought that you and Pastor Bauer had made a good decision instead of reading the account of Lazarus rising from oh, the dead yeah. that you that you told the story, and mm-hmm. and I thought that was effective for kids because you know the high schoolers they need to hear the these stories. When I do devotions at Shoreland, I always try and do it more of a story format than I would in a normal sermon. And I thought that was really effective. You didn't have to know it verse by verse, yeah. But to tell that story, uh, and uh, I think of. You know, when people talk to me about like liturgy, you know, well, should we do something you know more contemporary without the liturgy? I always think of one of my guys who's in the nursing home now. He pretty much lost all of his memory, and yet he can pray the song of Simeon with me every time. You know, because and I was just talking to one of our teachers about you know what kind of order of service are we going to do with our preschool through second graders next year because the service we were using, morning praise from the supplement, well, that's, that's gone. We're not using it anymore. I want the kids to use something they're going to always use. And so we're going to use Matins, uh, the new morning praise from the new blue Christian worship hymnal, because I want them to memorize these things. And these kids can't read. But in four weeks, they'll have that entire service memorized, and they'll remember it for the rest of their lives. And the idea, I think, is as they memorize these things, it's going to help them in times of comfort. Whether it's a hymn verse like, you know, it's interesting, and maybe we can talk about this quickly, is, you know, the hymn for, the hymn of the day for the first Sunday in Lent is a mighty fortress is our God. 
And a lot of us have that all four verses memorized. But why do you guys think that that's a Reformation hymn? So why is a Reformation hymn, why is that one chosen as the hymn of the day also for the first Sunday in Lent? Well, yeah, it helps us to keep our our focus on, uh, you know, this isn't the this isn't the the forty day funeral for Jesus, you know. Here here's Jesus, <laughs> our champion, going to kick some butt because and knowing exactly what he's going to be doing, and and we can be secure when we rest in him. And and just to bring it back to to Jeff, you know. Um, it, it's it's yes, it's the devil. Yes, it's sin. And then that ultimate consequence, the teeth, is death. And and Jesus defeated that for us. So we really have nothing to be afraid of as we walk alongside him. The big thing, I think, uh, I, I wondered that for a long time. Why is this the hymn always for the first Sunday in Lent? And it, it has so much to do with, uh, though devils all the world should fill and the old evil foe, and uh, it, finally, that's what you were saying too. With this is Jesus going to kick butt. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a spiritual warfare hymn. But Forrest fights the valiant one. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He he holds the field forever. Yeah, it is really a battle battle hymn, and and that's why I always encourage our musicians play it faster. It's not a funeral. Dish. Oh yeah. <laughs> you know, go into battle. You know. You know that you're marching, uh, and, and so that's why I think yeah, it's important for us to tell our our confirmands and our young people, memorize this stuff. This is good stuff. We got a little bit of time. You want to get into the got the uh, epistle lesson, Jeremy? You sure you don't want to read the Old Testament lesson from Malachi? It's not from Malachi. It's, it's not. No, it's First oh. Samuel seventeen. I thought we were talking about Malachi before, so I thought maybe that well, was Well, I was old... talking about Malachi, but ah, the, the, okay. the, the epistle last I mean, the Old Testament lesson for the Sunday is David and Goliath. But... Oh, that's the Old Testament. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, beginning with verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, namely Jesus, the Son of God, let us continue to hold on to our confession For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. So, let us approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So what's the point that the writer to the Hebrews is making here, comparing Jesus to the high priest? I mean, all the way through Hebrews, he's comparing him to the best things of the Old Testament covenant, right? And, you know, he's better than Moses, better than the Sabbath day, better than the high priest, you know, because because all of those things ultimately looked ahead to Jesus, right? And so this Sunday, especially uh, that last part of verse 15, uh, tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. He's our, he's our go-between um, because he's been there and done that. So who better to sympathize with us in our weakness? Who better to to um, to pray to when we're tempted? And who better to restore us again when we fall than the one who never fell? And, and I think, too, here he's making a point that Jesus is a high priest in that uh, he is both human and God, uh, that he is able to sympathize with our weaknesses because he was tempted in every way. 
and he can only be tempted because he's also human. And yet, because he is perfect and he is divine, he is without sin. And I tried stressing that in my Ash Wednesday sermon. In I, I preached on Genesis 3.15, where God says to the serpent, and I will put hostility between you and the woman, between your seed and, and her seed. He will crush your head and you will crush his heel. And, and I said in the middle of the sermon, just to drive home to our people that Jesus is also human, that God is spirit. He doesn't have feet. So in order to crush the serpent under his heel, he has to have a very human foot. And then he can step down. But then that means that the serpent can reach up with his fangs and bite that very powerful and perfect heel. And now he's got the poison of sin flowing through his very human veins and to kill him. And yet, when he took his last breath on on Calvary's cross, you know, he needed to sleep for three days, in his sleep in the grave for three days. And then he took his first breath to rise from the dead because the Son of God is always more powerful than the most powerful of the created angels. What about that part, uh, Jeremy, where it says that, verse 16, that now because Jesus is the great high priest, we can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Why is that so important for us as Christians? Because uh, without it, we would not be able to approach the throne of grace with confidence. <laughs> nice. That sounded very unconfident, yeah. if you don't mind my cheap editorialism. Yeah. No, that was not cheap at all. That was very honest. Um uh, we're always trying to, um, our natural default as humans is to give God advice that we we're always trying to tell him that, you know, Oh God, why don't you do things this way? Or why don't you do things that way? And, uh, the crazy thing is that he actually, when he tells us to pray, he's actually asking for our advice. And, uh, if we really took a hard look at ourselves, we would say we have no right whatsoever to say anything or question God or, or ask for anything at all. Um, and yet in his mercy, he says, you may, you may approach my throne and, uh, I want, I want you to be bold about it. And I think too, this is why our prayers, whether it's the prayer of the day, the prayer of the church, our own personal prayers, that we end the prayers through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Uh, this is what gives us confidence to be able to approach God's throne of grace with our prayers is because Jesus is there as the high priest. He is taking our prayers and he's interceding for us. And in at least two ways, he's uh, taking those prayers and we pray through him and then because God would be angry with us as sinners, but because of Christ putting his blood on us, uh, and as a high priest, he's also the sacrifice, not just the one who's sacrificing. And then secondly, uh, he's perfecting our prayers. So now by the time they get to God's ear on his throne, our prayers, as imperfect as they are, they are matching up to God's will. Anything else you guys want to bring up with that text? Or anything else we talked about today? No. I I just like how the preceding part about the Sabbath rest uh, is related to this part, right? The reason we can have complete rest in Christ and 
lay aside our our works of the law and our and our trying to please is that Christ has already made perfect satisfaction for us, um, and it, you know it, it's just our realization of that fact that holds us back uh, so often, and and it's our hesitancy to pray. Our hesitancy to pray is caused by, you know, who am I to be bringing this either measly thing or huge thing to God's throne and bugging Him? I'm sure He's got better things to do than to listen to this poor fellow. You know, and and Jesus says no. He invites us to pray. He wants us to pray to cast everything that makes us anxious on Him, and and then we'll receive that rest that that we're longing for and that we're lacking. And to bring it back to what we began the discussion with with Mr. Dorn, and I think you did a really good job of this, Jeremy, on Monday of telling the students, you know, as you was it Psalm ninety you read. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Psalm 90, and you talked about how Moses had a lot of emotions, and it's okay for them to have a lot of emotions, whether mm-hmm. it's questions or confusion or anger, and then to give those to God and give those to God in their prayers. I just think it, I don't have any great deep point to make with this other than it's got to be the least efficient way possible for the Holy Spirit to say what he says in verse 15. <laughs> like, the point is, if I would have been the Holy Spirit and inspired this, I would have said, Jesus can really relate to you well. <laughs> but instead, he says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. So if you were, that's, that's a good point. If you were an English teacher, you've got two double negatives there. That is awful. It, but but it but that's that forces your, it's like a, it's like a puzzle then that forces your mind to wrap totally around the concept I, Jesus really knows how I feel. He he knows what it's like to be attacked by the devil, like we had in the gospel. He knows what it's like to go without food and uh, whatever whatever it is that you've gone through. Jesus is absolutely able to relate to it. All right. Uh, well, this is Pastor Zarling with Pastor David Pagel and Pastor This Little Lightning of Mine. <laughs> <laughs> Stay thirsty, my friends, then drink deeply from the water of life. <laughs>